This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. So there's a lot of could have been. <laughs> Really controversial. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Yeah. I love 80s fantasy and I love omelets, so. Hey, Casey, I heard you, you just saw a movie. What'd you see the other day, Casey? We watched The Never Ending Story, Bill. I've heard of The Never Ending Story. You've heard of that one? Pretty sure I've uh, maybe yeah, maybe seen a piece or two. So I, I kind of need you to walk me through the story. <laughs> What's wrong? Is it a hard story to explain? No, it really wasn't a hard movie to follow. I was just, uh, I wasn't just, I wasn't following along. That's all. <laughs> oh, you weren't paying it. So you didn't, you didn't do any research for the show. You just kind of faked it. So oh, yeah. I haven't seen the show movie, and you don't you, you didn't pay any attention. So now we have to interview a an actress from the movie, and we're not prepared. No, we're prepared. We are. We're always prepared, brother. Yeah, we're always prepared. Of course, we've seen the never ending story, Casey. I'm being a jokester. <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times, and it's really pretty amazing that this movie is still uh, as popular as it is. Like I showed my son; he's you know he was maybe eight. You know, and I was showing him this movie and I was like, this movie just was crazy big in, you know, when we were, when we were kids and he's watching and he's kind of getting into it. He gets it right with all the CGI and everything that he's otherwise exposed to. He was able to sort of watch this thing and it's practical effects and all it's, uh, you know, <laughs> even when the ass is hanging out of the practical effects, you know, <laughs> you know, he's still getting into it without going, this is really cheesy. And man, it's like, it's, it, it was one of those movies in the eighties where there were so many fantasy movies that came out. I wonder if this was the one that really like kind of kickstarted all of those different movies. I'm remembering like legend, like remember there was a bunch of uh what was labyrinth one. Even labyrinth. Star Wars was kind of a, a fantasy movie. You don't get movies like that no more. Nope. Yeah. And you say about the cheesy, uh, the cheesy, um, the puppet, the puppetry, I guess, as it was, uh, I was paying attention to the movie. It had probably been about 20 or 25 years. Maybe, I guess we're older than that. It's probably been about 30 years that I've seen it, uh, since I've seen it. And uh, I love that kind of, like, puppetry, though. To me, that that looks so much cooler than, like, the, the computerized shit that of today. I looked it up. It was the most expensive movie made outside of the United States at that time in 1984. Well, it shows. I mean, the sets were enormous, and you know, a lot of times what they do in, in those kind of uh, those kind of productions is they reuse the set. They try to set up different angles, and they chop the you know the soundstage up. I don't know. I mean, they. I doubt they used the, re, were reusing the same set. I think they had a lot of time and money put into the set design. The characters look cool. You know, the puppetry was cool. Yeah, it was a huge set, and uh, we were talking last night when we were watching it. the The story of the never ending story is like almost like today's time, like the nothing, like the nothing of the never ending story. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I, I to this day I still don't know what that movie's about. I've seen it so many times I can't figure it out. What is the moral at the end of the story? 
So I was hoping you could explain it to me. (laughs) I don't know the moral of the story. I just know that it's almost like a disease that they call the nothing that's like spreading over the entire world, the, the, the Fantasia that they live on. It's just wiping everything out everywhere. And uh, what's his name? Atreyu is trying to stop that from happening. But it's almost like today, like with, with the coronavirus of today, just like the suicide rate is, is so high right now. It's just uh, it's wiping businesses out. Dark here, sir. You just watched that movie and you're, you're equating it to some dark stuff. <sighs> That's where your head went with it. Yeah. I've always kind of thought it was like uh, way more symbolic. And I'm, I'm guessing like maybe it's like the end because he's reading, the kid is reading, and maybe the, the thought there was, you know, kids aren't reading these days. They're out playing that damn Nintendo. I don't know. You know, so maybe it was like the, the loss of imagination and that kind of thing. That's where I was always thinking uh, it was going. Like, you know, this kid's reading this book and he's using his imagination to fill in the blanks. And we're kind of, I guess, seeing what he's dreaming. And then, of course, he goes crazy and starts to become in the book. So maybe it is a pretty dark story about mental health problems. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take it dark down now that I've, I've walked myself through this. Wow, this I don't is, know about that, movie. but it's, it's a horror I, movie. All this time, I thought it was a kid's movie. Honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen the movie before last night. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Really? That weren't, wasn't my type of uh, movie when I was a child. Well, it wasn't porn. Uh, <laughs> speaking of that, I was surprised. The one gate that he has to go through is these uh, big statues. I'm not exactly sure what they what they were or what they were called, but uh, they the both had was it the, was it the oracle or something? Yeah, where their eyes opened, their, their eyes opened, yep. and they shot laser beams. Yeah. Well, they both had huge breasts. <laughs> That's what you noticed. <laughs> it was the eighties. Everything had had breasts. Well, for a kids' yeah. movie. Well, yeah. It's funny when you watch like Airplane, which was like rated PG and there's all this nudity in it. It's like, wow, times have really changed. I don't remember that. Oh my God. Anytime I would watch a movie, I'm like, PG, okay, I can watch this with my parents. <laughs> Breasts. No. I wasn't looking, Mom. I didn't see nothing, Dad. <laughs> well, what was your favorite part of the movie then? Like, what was the, the, the part that really, that you remember the most? Because when you talk to people about this, they're, they'll say, Oh, it's Falcor, you know. I remember the flying dragon dog monster, the luck dragon, whatever. I think it was called the luck dragon. Yeah, the luck dragon. Or the rock, rock monster. monster. I know a lot of people will say that. The rock monster is very sad. He's a yeah, sad creature. Yeah. What a and I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that Falcor, Falcor's stoned the whole movie, right? Like the, the luck dragon. He's high, right? I never thought that's why he can fly. <laughs> See? This is, now we know that this is a movie of drugs. Where are we going now? Another left turn. It's a movie about drugs, the pandemic, and mental illness. Yeah. We are cracking this thing open. It's really good we're talking about this today. So, Casey, you know why we're talking about the never-ending story? I do. Why? Because uh, we will be talking to the Empress from the NeverEnding Story today. What is her name in that movie? It's like the 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 childlike Empress. Is That's that actually? Nobody's got like a normal name. Nobody's just you know she's not Pam. 
She's the childlike, you know, it's got to be a Treyu. Well, what's the boy's name who's reading the book? It's Bastion. You know, that's His not name is Bastion. I looked it up last night. It's BBB, Bastion something backs. Wow. Triple B. Triple B. They should have called him Triple B. <laughs> that's, that's his wrestler name when he gets a little older. Yeah, but no, I mean, the, when, when I think about that movie, yeah, you think about the, the Falcor, you think about the Flying Dragon, but you always remember Tammy's role as the childlike empress. I almost said actress. The childlike empress. Like, that is, is, even though it's a small part, it is such an, like, a, a major part of the, the entire story. And yeah. when you sort of get to meet her a little bit more at the end, it's like, whoa, that's her. Wow. It's like magical. And kids remember that stuff, man. That stands out. Yeah. Yeah. She did a great job. I think she was only 11 years old in that, 11 or 12. And uh, some of the, I mean, some of the best acting in the movie. Some of the best. I actually always remembered, wow, she's really good. Cause there's times where it's like, okay, you know, kid actors do what kid actors do. They try to hit their, uh, their grand slams. Uh, no, I thought she was really convincing. I was like, wow, she's going to make me cry if she keeps on crying there. <laughs> I heard the um, the necklace that Atreyu wears, that snake necklace, uh, hangs on the wall currently at Steven Spielberg's office. Ah. I know it for a fact because I was there. No, shit. No. <laughs> he had to be arrested when I came to the house. But yeah, so, you know, he's got fans. Uh, you know, that, that movie's got fans all the way up to Steven Spielberg. Wow. You know? Lucas Ranch, is that what it's called, right? His house. I don't know. Is that his? I've never been there. You know who lives there? George Lucas lives at Lucas Ranch. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Spielberg lives at Spielberg Ranch. (laughs) You know? Not that, Casey. (laughs) You know where I live, Casey? I live at Shearer Ranch. All right, well, I'm really, uh, you know, kind of excited to dig in here. I know she's calling in in a couple minutes, uh, you know, check in. I want to see what she, I know she's got a new project. We want to ask her about that. Uh, check in on Falcor, see how Falcor is doing. Uh, you I know, want to know where Falcor is hanging. Uh, probably I don't a, care about Atreyu's uh, necklace. I want to know where Falcor is. <laughs> probably an old props warehouse somewhere in pieces, sadly. Wouldn't that, oh, wouldn't that be horrifying if it's like laying like just, decayed and and they 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 put it on tour they prop it around for kids to all go see falcor it's like this broken puppet with tongue hanging out sideways and eye is missing uh maybe some things just ought to stay uh where they are poor falcor this is a dark show (laughs) when did this get so evil it'll get it'll get better it'll get happier yeah all right so uh should i do some plugs let's do some plugs hey so oh no wait here before uh before we do some plugs, so I met with uh, one of our former one of our guests last week when I was on uh, my work tour for the week. Who'd you meet? Who'd I you went and met. I went and met with uh, Robert Ray Schaefer. Oh, did Bob you? Vance. I had dinner with Bob Vance. You had dinner with Bob Vance. Yeah, what man. He, what did he? He got a burger. A burger. He seems like a burger guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, we were we were supposed to meet at this uh, barbecue place that I, I actually told him about when we interviewed him, and uh, we both pulled in at the same time, and they were closed. They ran out of uh, food for the day. It's like a barbecue place that opens early, and they just close when they're out of food. 
they close when Casey comes pulling in. <laughs> but you so, guys planned this dinner. You you had a date. Yeah. You didn't just happen to pull into the same mall parking lot and strip mall parking lot and there's there's, you know, Bob Vance. I mean it doesn't so you planned this. Yeah. Yeah, I uh Who asked who on the date? He asked me about that barbecue place because he moved back to West Virginia. And I said, uh, I'll actually be coming through that area in a few days. Why don't we uh, meet up and have dinner or lunch? I wasn't sure what time I was going to be going through when we made the arrangements. Wow. But uh, I texted him when I was on my way through. And, uh, yeah, we had a nice dinner at a, a – I think it was called in uh, West Virginia. Don't give him any plugs. They didn't pay. Um, <laughs> did you actually – did people recognize him? Like, were you – Sitting at, t- at a table and people coming up and asking for autographs and things like that? Well, the waitress uh, recognized who he was. And then uh, when we were walking out, uh, there was a there was a this hippie kid sitting there by himself uh, having like a steak dinner at this nice seafood restaurant. And uh, he, he says, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. How you doing? He's like, what the hell are you doing in West Virginia? So uh, then he got his picture with him and stuff. So, yeah, but a few people definitely recognized who he was. Yeah, and then he had to slide his mask on and go out into the world. Yep. Yeah. Were they doing the mask thing out there? Oh, yeah. Just, uh, yeah, from like, yeah, it's really weird. I mean, you're still allowed to eat in restaurants, but it's uh, every other table, and you have to wear a mask until you get to the table, and then you can take your mask off. What are the celebrities going to do? Nobody's going to recognize them. They're going to have to get their like faces, you know, printed on the front of their masks. Well, have you seen any of those masks that they're they're, peop- they're making masks like that? But have you seen any of them? No, because somebody just stole my idea. I had it, <laughs> but of course somebody's going to take that idea and, and steal it. So I've seen quite a few of them. People post them online yeah. after they get it, and it's usually way larger than their actual faces <laughs> so it looks like a caricature <laughs> yeah that's exactly what it looks like it's like those shirts you see at the beach the guys are wearing they, they have the, the six-pack airbrushed on <laughs> yeah. now, now it's for masks okay <laughs> just what the world needed yeah it's really funny <clears throat> so uh yeah that was uh had a nice dinner with bob vance it was cool. But that made me think. I want to do a, a couple of plugs for not only our show, but some of our uh, previous guests that we've had on. Just give them a, a quick shout-out. You can go to uh, all these websites or their uh, their Instagrams, whatever. Check them out. Uh, com. Check out uh, Larry's artwork and his T-shirts, I think, might be up there. Uh, Scott Schwartz just started a, a Facebook page where you can get autographed pictures from Scott. Because uh, all these Comic-Cons and everything are now shut down uh, across the United States. And that's how a lot of these guys made their money. Uh, so anything you can do to help them out would be great. Uh, Robert Ray Schaefer, as I said, uh, that I met Take with. Him to he's on, <laughs> Take him to dinner. <laughs> he's hungry. No, uh, he's on Cameo. You can get him on Cameo.com. Joe Alves, you can go to JoeAlvesMovieArt.com. And uh, I got, I don't have it with me here to show you, but. Um, for one, we do get in a studio. I ordered a, a nice uh, charcoal drawing from Joe that's signed uh, for us to frame. You can go to uh, for Rags Morales. Just check him out on Instagram. I think he's uh, he's done taking commissions right now at the moment. 
because he got uh, after our episode with him, he got he picked up some work. I think he's going to be doing a new book soon. But he's uh, he's on Instagram at rags and hashtags. Uh, you can go to CoreyMcCormickOfficial.com. And Corey's new album uh, with that, his band Organa is out, and that's at organamusic.com. And then uh, for us, we have, uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. And uh, you can get a lot of extra stuff on there. Everything that I cut out of the show, uh, I throw on the Patreon. And- Everything? Whoa, I don't know about this. <laughs> oh, Just- no. Just about everything. All right. And also, the shows are always up there uh, early. And we have a website, also, deluxeedition.show. Uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, at deluxeeditionpod. And we make it on the on, Friendster. We're on Friendster, Friendster. Google+, Plus, all those. We have a, a Facebook uh, page, Deluxe Edition, yet another pop culture podcast. Also, a, a group on there that uh, we'd like to get some more people interacting on. Uh, Bill tries like hell to uh, – just doesn't work for you. Nope, nope. I can't get <laughs> nothing viral going there. You think anyone's still hanging out? Do you think that we lost everybody for the, uh, through the credits here, through the, <laughs> through the plugs? Well, people they're still here. Don't leave, people. We, we have an interview coming up. Go, go on, Casey. We have more? That's it. The plugs are over. How about that? That only took two and a half minutes. No, I'm just being a dick. <laughs> yep. Support those guys. They were really kind to do our show. So, you know, we want to see them do really well and, and help them in any way we can. So I yeah. tease about the plugs, but, you know, definitely check them out because they're, they're great artists. They're great people. And they're still doing really cool, fun things, which is why we're doing a, a podcast, you know, like we are doing because we enjoy this stuff and we enjoy, you know, the output of these great, great people. Absolutely. That? Well, that's very good, Bill. You did great. I didn't write it down. That was that was just out of my head. This very good. Off. All right. So uh, our guest is here in the waiting room. Joining us today, Tammy Stronach. Hey, Tammy. Thank you for coming on to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Look like a nice place. You know, we're, we're on Zoom. We're always invading everybody's homes. That's the new reality, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> What did, I saw somebody call it not the new normal, but now it's called the now normal. I'm like, I'm not ready to move into that phase yet. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like a double edged sword. Like in some ways, I see more people from abroad that I haven't seen before, but then it's also just so so weird to never see people face to face. Where are you located? I am in Brooklyn. What's your exact street and house good no, number? <laughs> First, I'm going to start with my social security number. You need a pen and paper. <laughs> ah, nobody's going to use that deliciously. <laughs> Friendly little. <laughs> so where, where are you guys, actually? We're outside of um, King, uh, Philadelphia. There's an area called King of Prussia you may have heard of. The next town over is Reading, Reading, nice. Pennsylvania. Cool. Remember the Reading Railroad on the Monopoly board? That's how I try to tell everybody, you know, our claim to that and Taylor Swift was born here. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's about all I know. But we're here to talk about you. We're here to talk about your uh, upcoming projects. We're here to talk about the never-ending story, of course. So my, my first question for you is, you know, you were 11, I think, when you were in that movie. 
I yeah. heard, you know, it was a, you had a, a, an acting teacher who knew somebody who was part of the production and kind of got you in. Yeah. Remember at 11. Do you remember? Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me. Well, the, the acting teacher knew the casting director, but she was just having lunch with her. It wasn't like a, a get you in kind of situation. She, um, they were meeting for a lunch date and the casting director happened to come 10 minutes early. So she saw the tail end of the acting class. Um, so it was all really very accidental. It's kind of fun. But what do I remember about the movie? I How many days were you on set? Was it something that took a while? or? It surprisingly took a lot longer than you'd think, given the screen time and probably also given the pace at which many movies are made today. I was there for two and a half months for two very short scenes, which is an extraordinary amount of time, really, in retrospect. But it was a huge production for Germany at the time. It was the largest film that they had made. Obviously, it was in, in collaboration with Warner Brothers, but the Bavarian studios were amazing. And there was a, two weeks of just makeup looks for the Empress. It was so fun as a little girl. You get to go in and try this dress and this hair and this hair and that dress. <laughs> it's like awesome. And some of the looks were like very 80s-tastic, like full-on perm in every direction and like extensions, like really long. It was really <laughs> so there's a lot of could have beens. <laughs> yeah. But the thing that I remember the most are the sets. The sets were just amazing. There were it, the Bavarian studios are enormous and they just had tent upon tent upon tent. And it was like Alice in Wonderland. You just walked into a tent and everything was there. Like the whole swamp of sadness was there. All those trees until the edge of you, as far as your eye could see, like you just didn't know you were in a tent. So it wasn't a soundstage. I assume everything is in a, a soundstage. This was still done outside then. With no, I mean, by tent, it was like they created their own soundstage, but the thing was so huge that these were, these were outside and they were inside these tented structures. They were just enormous. But yeah, I think the mud, maybe because of that, it was outside. It was all, that particular one was outside. Some of them were in sound stages inside. For sure, mine was the bed that I sat on. Yeah. yeah. Did you get to watch other parts of the production or were you kind of like, okay, you're here, you're done, you get to go? I tried to watch as much of the production as I could. You know, they weren't like thrilled about having an 11 year old girl just run around all over the sets while they're filming. I don't know why, but they did uh, humor me and I did get to see the, a, a variety of scenes. I saw the Gmork scene where he attacks the Treyu. I saw the Swamps of Sadness scene. I saw Bastion screaming my name. I saw uh, some of the rock biter scenes and that puppetry work. So enough to really have enjoyed a, a, a good bunch. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So when you go and watch the movie for the first time, do you have anything like the same impression I did when I first saw it or, or when anybody first sees it? Do you feel like you got to see it, it the same way, even though you were behind the scenes and seeing how it was all made? Was the magic still there for you? Totally. I mean, it, it's different with editing and with music and it looked amazing. Like I couldn't believe it, but also <laughs> the premiere I saw in Germany. And so I was speaking German and I didn't realize that I had learned German so quickly and forgotten it. So, cause it's dubbed. So 
So the first time I saw the film, it was all in German. So it was, <laughs> I had to wait until it came out in the States to see my voice do it. Interesting. Yeah. I, I read too that you had a broken front teeth or you were missing your front teeth. I was. You were 11. They probably weren't baby teeth. So that must have been a. Yeah, they were canines. Yeah. That was actually the worst part of the film for me because I had to go to a dentist for two weeks and dentistry wasn't as advanced and he kept trying to make <laughs> these ridiculous, enormous dentures and they'd bring them in and I just kind of looked like this vampire and then Wolfgang would be like, no, 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 go back and shave it down and shave it down. And so I just lay with my mouth open for just hours and hours a day in a dentist chair she was like shaving my dentures down it was this huge uh like enormous thing that went over all of my front teeth <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like fun no it was funny how did uh the the reception turn out when the movie came out because i was a child i i don't remember i remember going to the theater and that's about it but did it have a, a warm reception right away did it take a little time to grow like some of the 80s fantasy movies have I think in the States, it took a time to grow. I almost feel like it became more popular over time than when it was released. I would say in Germany and in Japan, it had a very, very strong impact. So over there, it had a really strong impact right away. And then it's interesting, like I've met people from Eastern Europe, who people from the Czech Republic, for example, who said that you know, at the time when the Soviets controlled the territory, there were very few Western films that were allowed in, but Never Ending Story was one of them. And so people watched it in those countries like over and over again, because it was one of three films that they were allowed to see from the West. So it's kind of got this strange and interesting history where like in different areas for different reasons, it kind of slowly generated more and more nostalgia and sticking power. I, I mean, it's a really unique type of movie. I remember an experience. I was like 10 years old. It was, it was the teacher brought the VHO or maybe the reel to reel, whatever, <laughs> whatever the teachers had back in the eighties brought the movie in. Maybe it was like the second to last day of school and she was done teaching us. She had it. So I remember watching the movie with all my classmates and we all cried at the same times. And then we were excited and then we cried again. And the horses, <laughs> and, mother, like, oh. and it was just like, wow, this is really cool. It was a sort of a, a group experience watching that movie. Yeah. I mean, it, you're, it's funny. We started this conversation with, with the zoom and kind of being separated. And I think, you know, we have all this nostalgia for the eighties and nostalgia for eighties movies, but now what you just said is sort of making me think about how we also maybe have a little bit of nostalgia for how we used to watch movies together. You know, you go with your friends and you'd wait in line and you'd wait for the movie and when it was going to be released and then everyone would talk about it and then you had your different opinions about it and it was a communal event. So I think that part of why that movie matters so much to people is it's also part of an era where the way in which we kind of consumed film and how important it was kind of uh, had its own little nostalgic tug. I think that probably that's a great point. I'm, I'm thinking about like my son, I don't see him talking about movies with friends. I know that's all we did in school. You know, we yeah. didn't have an internet to just read on forum boards what things are, are about. We right. had to talk to each other to, you know, get insights about movies and just to get people's opinions. It was, it was very different. 
I mean, I went to my uh, friend's house and there were a bunch of teenagers. They were all on different tablets, all watching different shows in the same room. <laughs> I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> They'll actually text each other from yeah. couches. From the couch, and they're not watching the same show. I'm like, what's the point? <laughs> I don't get it. Anyway, I don't get a lot of things. <laughs> I'm lost on that, too. In yeah. that period of time, too, there was a lot of fantasy movies. Uh, we were talking about this before the uh, the interview. You know, there was yeah. even like, Star Wars was a space fantasy movie, but there were so yeah, many fantasy sure. movies that seemed to come after this one. You don't, maybe not, maybe I got my timeline a little wrong. I'm old, I forget things. But, you know, it's, it's a time that, that hasn't been recreated. You don't get those kind of fantasy movies anymore. And it's a shame. I wonder, I mean, I feel like, you know, well, obviously we are attempting to make Man and Witch, which will be a, a, a new film that is an homage to those 80s fantasy films. And I think part of the reason is, you know, the, the really good ones, I mean, like the Lord of the Rings series and the Harry Potter series, those are pretty, I think they're in that genre world, but they're so expensive. You know, it's very few people have the resources to do something on that scale. And when it happens and when it's done beautifully, it's absolutely fantastic and gorgeous. I think it's really hard for indie movies to make a fantasy film. You have to create the world. You have to create the art. You have to create, you know, the whole vision for it. So I think given the way in which just the practicalities of financing and studios and stuff, it became harder and harder to make those kinds of films. But uh, we're, we're really excited about just trying to do it anyway. <laughs> make a fantasy film uh, with an indie, with an indie budget and with the kind of, with the spirit and heart of an indie film, you know? So it's going to be all practical effects. Are you going to try to do any computer effects? There'll be a few. I mean, we, yeah. you know, yes, there, there will be a few, but I know I was doing dance and theater for the last 20 years in New York and acting primarily on stage, but we did some puppet shows with my company and I love the Jim Henson studio. I love those puppets. So we just wanted to embrace all the things that we loved about those films. And part of that was the storyline really being about kind of underdogs or misfits that have to battle. I mean, Star Wars is like the ultimate, right? It's like the, the underdogs somehow saving the day. And I, I feel like that's something that those 80s movies were really good at is just making you believe and hope and root for the impossible solution. And, um, and I, I love those films and I feel like I need to see those films. <laughs> I feel like other people need to see those films. So that's the, the sort of the, that part of storytelling was really important to me to tap into and then also, yeah, we, we're so fortunate. We are we were able to commission the Jim Henson Preacher Shop to make our puppets for us. So there's going to be puppetry, and I love that because I love puppets. <laughs> and we're going to be shooting in practical locations, not on sound stages. So um, all of those things are just things that uh, I have not, I'm just excited about revisiting. And then obviously, you know, it's 2020. So there's going to be updates and twists, you know, that have to do with the world today and how we, we all sort of see the world today. So there'll be a, a kind of modern lens, but using all the crafts and the tools and story as front and center, which is what I love so much about the 80s. Yeah. 
That's great. Are, are you actually acting in it or are you doing more of a behind the scenes role? I am acting in it. It's a huge part and it's a complicated part. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really, it's exciting. It's um, both dramatic and serious and it's also comedic, which is the hardest thing to do, period, ever, hands down. There's also going to be a big dance number in it, a la Strictly Ballroom. <laughs> which I am so excited about. It's kind of like taking all the things that I've done in my life that I love and just making this giant scramble omelet and putting it on a plate. Cause I, you know, so it's dance and puppetry and acting and eighties fantasy. So yeah, I mean, awesome. awesome. Yeah. I love eighties fantasy and I love omelets. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm also executive producing it. So it's a lot, a lot of work uh, behind the scenes, but I was running a dance company for 20 years and I'm really, really used to being at the table, considering the design and the direction and kind of how all the different parts are coordinated and working together. So I really like producing. So it's a, it's, it's a lot of hats, but um, yeah. When's the last time you were on camera? I mean, I don't recall any on camera credit since the, uh, since the never ending story. Well, so this um, is a return to yeah, being yeah, on camera. No. I did a very, very, I did a few little things here and there. I did, um, oh, the pop music. You had some videos. <laughs> I did find I did them those. on YouTube. I did those. I did, um, you know, it's funny. It never came out. I did a fantasy film in the Czech Republic called Tower of Dreams. And I don't know, the, the whole thing combusted and it never came out, but I did actually go over there and film it. it and then I did the fight choreography for it and a bunch of fight dancing dances for it. So I did a little bit of acting in that and then before this film project picked up, I did a couple of like really, sh like, I, I was just like any indie thing that came to me. I had a few friends who were like, can you be this? I was like, oh, I got to be on camera. Yes. <laughs> so um, I did a few little uh, cameos. But the truth is, I was in a theater company in New York for uh, seven years. And we were the resident company at Soho Repertory, which is a really wonderful theater in um, Manhattan and Soho and I created four original plays and it was an ensemble cast so each play you got to do maybe four or five roles you'd like run backstage change costumes entirely run back out new accent new body posture run backstage change costumes run out new body posture new accent so it's absolutely true that I haven't done a film but I, I was doing a ton of acting in New York on stage what do you like better? Do you like the camera work or do you like the stage work? Well, I think that I really, <laughs> I really liked being part of a team and building a story from the ground up. And I think I was so afraid that if I went into um, sort of film and TV, that I would just kind of become wallpaper, you know, like do this, learn your lines, get out of here. And for me, the, the fun is in, is in building a team and in listening to how the costume designer is talking about the world. And that actually informs the way that I see it. And that's going to change my, uh, you know, my body language and my, it, so I think that I just felt like I could have a more um, sort of holistic and or organic and also communal experience in the theater because we were company and we would do show after show after show together and we would talk about what we're going to make and how we're going to make it so I really like that but what's crazy is that 
this film, we're bringing all of that into film. So I'm just so excited. I feel like this is the best of both worlds. I love film. I watch movies all the time. They're amazing. And in this particular process, my husband wrote it. I wake him up in the middle of the night. I'm like, you know, I just think I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> and we're like, you know, go over a point that isn't clear and something in the backstory that needs fixing. And, you know, so it has that ground up feeling that I loved. And that's why I went into dance and into theater, because I could be from the beginning till the end in it. But now in this context, it feels like just the same thing, but for film. So, you know, I'm excited. I'm terrified. I'm, but I'm also, I just, it feels like the right step to take all of those experiences and just keep growing, you know, keep learning, keep expanding. Yeah. Well, I think you're a great actress. I think uh, I remember just you, you as a, as a, as an 11 year old, you were, you very precocious. I mean, you're acting when you're staring at the camera, like you're staring into your, the viewer's soul. When, when you're crying and you're like, Bastion, say my name. I'm like, good, just say Jennifer. Just say <laughs> the name. I mean, that, is, that was fantastic acting. Thank you. So it's yeah. great to see that you're doing it again. Thank you. Thank you. To talk a little more about uh, your, your new project, where, where can we see it? When does it come out? So uh, the best way to keep tabs on it is to go to my website, which is just my name, www.tammystronic.com. And there, there is a tab called Man and Witch. We're really inviting people to come with us on this journey. It's, uh, it's not, you know, as I said, it's, it's, it's really us making it. And part of the reason we're even making it is I kept going to Comic-Cons and everyone's like, when are you going to do another film again? And why don't they make fantasy films the way they used to? And, and so there was just one day in the kitchen where my husband and I were like, you know, everyone really wants this. Why don't we just make it? <laughs> and then he wrote the script and it's crazy. It just snowballed. It, um, the financing came faster than we could blink. That never happens. You know, the director we met dropped every other project and was like, I'm doing this full time. And, it's just kind of got its own momentum, but, but it really is a labor, a labor of love from a group of misfits who are, <laughs> you know, getting together to do this um, kind of passion project. So we really would love it if people joined us and you can just sign up for our newsletter and we'll send you behind the scenes info. And then it just feels really encouraging to know that people are interested and wanting us to, you know, push through. And with COVID, I am very cautious to give clear dates about when it's going to all be released. We are starting to film very, very soon and we have a location and we have everything set to go, but I think it's, really important to respond to the situation as it emerges and of course make sure everyone's safe so we're also prepared to you know take breaks if we have to and then get back to work when we can but you know uh, we're in upstate new york uh, so things are looking pretty good in new york so we're optimistic and you've got some uh, big big name signed for this movie already too can you tell us a little bit about who you have signed for it yeah I, we we feel so fortunate and excited so sean astin is going to be narrating the film and he is in my opinion the best kind of best friend character you could have he's going to play the, the the man in the film's best friend the sort of main protagonist's best friend which is his dog so it's one of the henson um puppets 
And, uh, and then my, my parents, which I'm so excited about uh, in the film, are going to be uh, Rhea Perlman and Christopher Lloyd. So I get really cool parents in the film. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's very cool. I know. I know. We're really excited. And we do have some other exciting names that we're, but we're just not going to announce it until it's super, super official, but we're still casting. And again, I think that's just been luck. We just got really lucky. We sent the script. We didn't think that we would necessarily get that kind of response, but people really liked the script. And so I don't know, that's the other, it's just sort of, it just is, is happening. So I feel really, um, really fortunate and grateful. I just, I'm, I'm, you know, going to work really hard to make sure that it's awesome. <laughs> I think you're on to something. I think fans are excited and just sort of doing my homework before we talk to you. There's, there's a lot of online chatter, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people are, are picking up on this story and you're commenting on it. So that must feel pretty good. It feels amazing. It feels amazing. And I think, you know, part of what everyone that I meet tells me about the Neverending story is that it inspired them to do something they were scared to do, to do what they dreamed, to actually go into the world and become the doctor or photographer or, you know, something interesting that was a little bit scary. And, um, and I feel like in a way, this film is me sort of putting my money where my mouth is. I spend like, you know, I sign all these empress photos saying do what you dream do what you dream <laughs> and I was like you know I'd really like to make a film so now I have to do what I dream you know <laughs> yeah. so yeah your mouth now you gotta you gotta do this that's right I, I can't just sign it on a piece of paper right I actually have to go do it <laughs> <laughs> get called out as a fraud eventually right so it's time it's time and I'm really looking forward to getting uh just on set I'm really excited cool well, I got a couple more questions for you. Okay. I'm going to let you go, but I got to bring up one that might be controversial. Okay. Ooh, ready? I'm ready. Why weren't you in the Neverending Story Part 2? How did that <laughs> production go? Because you don't have to be honest, I've never seen it. I've only ever heard uh, it's not, you know, nobody needs to see it. And you guys weren't yeah. in it. So I thought you want to be really controversial. Yeah, let's do it. I've never seen it either. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're both in trouble. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, I, I wasn't in it because, you know, my parents were archaeologists. I came from um, definitely not a Hollywood family. And they really didn't expect the never-ending story to blow up or be a big deal. And there was zero ambition in our family that I was going to go into becoming a child actor. It was kind of considered like a fun summer project for us. And we thought it would only be released in Europe. Like, we were so really not aware. <laughs> it's like somebody should have looked at the budget for this film. It was like the most <laughs> expensive film that Germany had ever made. And maybe that would have been, you know, informative. But so um, we just, there was, when they offered us, they offered for me to be in the sequel. And my, my uh, parents were like, no, 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 Tammy's going to school. She can have a normal childhood. We're not going to sign her on some kind of trilogy. Like, absolutely not. And then truthfully, they, it was a terrible mistake because I would have made a lot more money. And by the time they started filming, I was already 18. So I would have been far too old. <laughs> oh. 
Well, that's yeah, you, that's probably because I was thinking. I don't think I read that anybody returned. Maybe it it seems like it's just a totally different type of maybe a cash grab. I'm not sure if that's fair, but yeah, I never saw it. I never saw it. I never saw it. But um, I mean, I'm not sorry at all. You know, people ask me all the time, oh, are you sad that you, you know, didn't do more films? And not at all. You know, The NeverEnding Story was this incredible door into a world that showed me that you could be creative and have a creative life. And I think it made such a huge impression on me at that age. I saw that there were makeup artists and sculptors and masks makers and puppeteers and I was just like, oh, my God, look at what all these people do. And I set out and made my own dance company, and we had a home in New York, and we toured all over the country and and abroad. And um, it really sort of encouraged me to realize that it is really possible to be creative and live a creative life. And I don't know that I would have had the courage to do something that crazy Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I hadn't have been exposed to that. And so, um, and then even just now going into, you know, uh, executive producing and film um, at this time, I feel like there's something so wonderful about insisting on challenging yourself and growing and, and not, you know, kind of settling for what's comfortable. And I feel like the message of the never ending story kind of penetrated me, even though I didn't go into more films, like the the kind of the values of that movie really impacted me. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about the message of the movie. So my final question was going to be, and I love asking this question. We talked about it before we spoke with you. It, when you, when you ask somebody, what's the movie about? Well, there's these, these scenes, these, these iconic, you know, these, these, what, what, what's the message? What's the, and I don't think I even know. I don't think I know what the movie is actually about. I've seen it so many times. I think it's about imagination. I think we're based around imagination yeah am i close do you know very close i mean i'll I'll tell you i I mean i have like i have like you know i don't know how deep you want to go how deep do you want to go how how you want to go all the way i want to know everything (laughs) okay i never want to see this movie again the same way okay then i'm gonna i'm gonna take a deep dive with you um so michael ende was a, a, a young boy very similar to bastion's age during world war ii uh, in Nazi Germany. And Michael's the, the writer of the, the writer of this right, story of the book, not the I, screenplay though. No, 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 no. So the, the original story came from the imagination of a young boy who saw, in my opinion, his country destroyed by the nothing, this invisible force that turned people who used to behave humanely and, and, you know, suddenly all of humanity was being stripped away from life and imagination art. Those are the things that keep us hopeful and human and connected. And so to me, uh, I think that there's a depth to this movie because it really comes out of the imagination of someone who lived through an experience where the fabric of what's humane in life was stripped away and so he reimagined that inside of the never-ending story. And, of course, that's not a unique situation to, to Germany, right? Like every culture has its scars and its unique moments where somehow we manage to strip away our humanity and not see our commonness in each other and lose our way in, in that 
regard. And so I think the film has so much resonance, partly because it has its roots in this very real world thing. Fantasy is just an opportunity to reflect on reality without, but, but the distance lets us kind of see the big picture rather than getting lost in the minutia. And then at the heart of it, you know, there's so many things like imagination is so undervalued. We like take kids and we stick them in classrooms and we make them like sit at their desk and memorize things. And that's not going to solve any problems. <laughs> you know, we have such huge problems to solve and figure out. And it's going to take someone who thinks outside the box and someone who dreams and someone who's not afraid to like propose something absurd and wonderful, you know? So I think, I think the story has so much depth because we, we really do worry about our loss of humanity and we really do worry about undervaluing imagination as this tool to heal and rebuild and create uh, a kind of kinder universe. That was great. Wow. That you was... asked me to go deep. That <laughs> was way better than what we came up with. <laughs> well, I was, I was saying to Bill before we got started here in the intro, uh, yeah. I just watched it last night for the first time, and it's almost yeah. kind of like the way this coronavirus is, is taking over. Totally. It's like the nothing, right? And it's almost like what's happening now. Yeah, it's this unstoppable <laughs> force, and what do we do? Definitely. And I, what I really love about The Neverending Story, which is something that I just love that the, the person that had the solution was a kid, you know, that's just my own, that really like all these adults and all these hardened positions, like it's just going to take somebody young and open to see the way out, you know? I think a lot of the uh, 80 stories were relatable to their, you know, their, their, children audience because the story centered around children and point of view of kids. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the many reasons I think everybody still remembers the movie. Well, uh, thank you again for your, your time. This was such a super fun interview. We could probably go on for longer, but I'm sure there's (laughs) other things to do for you. Uh, I know it's around dinner time, so I do really appreciate you coming on to the show. Um, And I hope I didn't make the Neverending story a bummer for everyone. I'm like, Oh no. No, it's way more interesting. Yeah, I'm going to go straight to the Wikipedia page and try to update it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think, you know, the final thing I just want to say is that that's just, you know, one possible read on it. I think the whole point of why art is so important and why stories like The Neverending Story are so important is that really it isn't about the film. It isn't. It, and it isn't about the work of art. It's about the viewer. And that the thing that happens when a piece of art is meaningful is that the viewer and the work of art meet at this third point, and it's a point that's individualized and special to that person, and they're pouring their life experiences into it. Like you were saying, coronavirus. So for you, it was about coronavirus. And really, I think that's why I still believe in art, is it's this very malleable place where nobody's right and where um, we have an opportunity to create this third space that both reflects and and draws on outside sources, but then mixes with our own internal world. And it's that exchange and the the sort of individualized exchange that occurs there for each person with the work of art that makes it um, so special. And so, yeah, so that's why I I still believe in storytelling and want to keep making it. (laughs) Well, we look forward to to the movie coming out. And why don't you tell everyone once again where they can find... uh, you and uh, websites and all that good stuff. So my social security number, in case you <laughs> missed it. 
you can go to my website, which is www.tammystronach.com. Click on Man and Witch, and we'll send you out a welcome letter, and we'll love to have you on this trip with us. And uh, thank you guys for taking the time to talk with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. It was great. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.